Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All right, I want to welcome everyone uh, once again to our, our short study. We got about an eight-week study uh, in what we are calling relevant cultural topics. Um, we started out talking about truth, uh, then we covered abortion, and now we're on race. Uh, this is our third week on race. We'll finish this up tonight. Next Wednesday night, we'll be talking about gender, and then the next Wednesday night after that, we'll finish up with... Uh, with sexuality. So tonight we will finish up with race. Now, I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago that when I started studying about race, uh, I had three things in my mind that I wanted to know. Number one, what does the Bible say? Number two, what does science say about race? And then, of course, number three is what does culture say about race? Now, we begin week one with the Bible. And as Christians, we believe that the Bible is truth. That is our basis for everything. And so when we get into the Bible, what does the Bible tell us? Well, the Bible tells us there is no such thing as race, that there is one race, and that is the human race. As Acts 17, 26 says, he made from one man every nation of mankind. Okay, so that's what the Bible says. There's no such thing as race. So then we turned to science, and we said, okay, what does science tell us about race? And what we found out is that science agrees with the Bible. We live in a time of incredible scientific advances, and one of the things that we've done is we've sequenced the human genome, we've done DNA studies, and science has validated the Bible in at least two ways. Number one, uh, the, the DNA and, and the, the genetics prove that we are one biological human race. There is no multiple races. The second thing it proved is that we all share a single origin. We all have the same mom and daddy if we go back. So yes, you are married to your sister in, in some uh, way, shape, or fashion. We're all brothers and sisters. Now tonight, we turn to the third thing, and that is culture. And one of the things that we saw early on about culture is that culture is lying to us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, just think about it. The Bible says there's no such thing as race. Science says there's no such thing as race. And yet, why is it from whether it's filling out a birth certificate or filling out a driver's license or doing your taxes or opening a bank account, what's the one thing they want you to check off? What race are you? Go ahead and classify yourself. Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? We hear it over and over and over and over and over again. So even though race doesn't exist, science, uh, uh, culture still perpetuates this untruth. And they just, it's just, people just accept it because it's been programmed into them uh, from such a young age. So here's where we are, and this is where we start the conversation tonight. Race does not exist. It is a completely made-up societal uh, social construct. However, racism certainly does exist. The fact is, your actions follow your beliefs. Whether your beliefs are true or not, if you believe something, you will act upon it. And there are no races, but people believe they are, and therefore racism follows. So what I want to do tonight is we're going to talk about racism. 
and we're going to talk about specifically how do we solve it, what's the solution for racism. So the first place we're going to start, I always like to, if I'm going to have a conversation with somebody, I always want to start where we both agree, right? That's the easiest way to have a conversation. So let's start where we all agree, and, and hopefully we all in this room can agree that racism is wrong, okay? Racism is wrong. Now, I want to know why. Why is racism wrong? What makes it wrong? Well, for us as Christians, it's wrong because the Bible says that it's wrong. Now, when we open the Bible and we start looking for words, you're not going to find in the Bible words like systemic racism or institutional racism or discrimination or prejudice or, or any of those kind of words. But yet the Bible gives us several principles in the Bible that tell us that racism is wrong. Let me just give you a few. For example... The Bible teaches us that we are all equal. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, Paul says that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The second thing the Bible teaches us as Christians, it teaches us that we are to be impartial. For example, 1 Timothy 5, 21, he says, I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. The third thing the Bible teaches us is that we are to address oppression. When we see oppression in our culture, in our society, in our families, in our lives, we are to correct it. For example, Isaiah 117 says this, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. And of course, the fourth thing the Bible teaches us as Christians is that we are to practice humility. One of my favorite scriptures is this, Philippians 2, 3, it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So all of those scriptures, they don't mention racism or systemic racism or institutional racism or anything like that, but each one of those teaches us that we cannot be racist, that it is, it is wrong. Now, here's the thing. We need to start tonight by being thankful that we live in a society and a culture that takes things like human rights and civil rights and racial equality, not only seriously, but our culture actually sees these things as moral imperatives. Okay? We should be thankful for that because that's not true everywhere. You go to India and you're, you're born into a caste system and wherever you're born, that's just your lot. But here we, 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 uh, we promote equality, at least as best we can as fallen human beings. And we need to be thankful for that. And by the way, this is true not only just for Christians, it's even true for non-Christians. Some of the people that are on the front lines fighting race for racial equality and things like that are not even Christians. They may not even believe in God. In fact, but we need to understand the reason that they see these things as moral imperatives goes all the way back to a man on the cross 2,000 years ago. It goes all the way back to 2,000 years of, of Christianity has influenced American culture. The scripture is, is, has influenced American culture. So we're standing in a society today that sees these things as moral imperatives because of the Bible, even if people don't give it credit for that. So that's where we begin. We believe that racism is wrong. Now, here's the, here's the $100,000 question. How do you solve it? How do you solve it? If we all agree that it's wrong, how do we address it and how do we solve it? Now, how you answer that question is going to depend totally 
on your worldview. All right, let me say that again. How you depend, answer that question is going to depend totally on your worldview. Now, even as I say that, half of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You see, oh, everybody has a worldview. Everybody in this room has it. In fact, not only do you have it, you use it every second of every minute of every day. And most people don't even know they have it, don't even know what the term means. So we're going to spend some time tonight making sure you understand what a worldview is because your worldview is going to determine how you answer the question of how do we stop or eliminate racism. So let me give you an example of a worldview. So let's, let's say we got two people here. The girl on the left, her name is Sasha. The guy on the right, his name is Sam. And so Sasha and Sam... Uh, they're working in the same building, and one day they're on the elevator, and they're going down, and they, they meet, and they begin to talk, and they kind of strike up a, a friendship. And so over the next few weeks, they kind of meet uh, down for lunch and, and different things, and, they, and when, you know how when you first start a, a, a relationship or a friendship with somebody, what do you talk about? You talk about uh, what movie you saw over the weekend. You talk about a good book that you read. You talk about uh, where you went the past weekend. You talk about really shallow things, right? I mean, that's what we start, when we first meet somebody, we just talk about very shallow things. So one day, Sasha and Sam are talking, and uh, they both mention that they, they find out that they share a love for Chinese food. And so they decide the next day to go to a Chinese restaurant. So they do, they're sitting there, and they're eating their meal, and they're still talking about just very shallow things. And at the end of the meal, Sam picks up his fortune cookie, and he opens it, and his fortune cookie says this, Life's journey ends with a new beginning. And Sam says, eh, I don't believe any of that foolishness. When you're dead, it's just over. So Sasha looks at him and she says, you mean you don't believe in life after death? He said, oh, I don't believe any of that stuff. We're just, we're just stardust. We're just a bunch of molecules and atoms. And, and uh, you know, when we die, it's just, that's it. It's all over. And Sasha looked at him and Sam says, Sam, I don't believe that at all. I believe that there is a God that he created us, that he has a purpose and plan for us, and that there is life after death. And Sam says, man, that's just, that's just superstitious foolishness. I don't believe any of that stuff. And so Sasha, this is, this is where we end up with, right? So we find out when we get to the deeper things that Sam is an atheist, that he just thinks we're all made out of stardust, and when you die... It's the end of the life. Sasha, on the other hand, believes the exact opposite. She believes God is real. She believes there is life after death. And she believes the Bible is true. So Sam, or Sasha looks at Sam and she said, Sam, you and I look at life very differently. And Sam says, yeah, it's almost like we're from different worlds. But you see, they're not from different worlds. What they have is different worldviews. They have different worldviews. What is a worldview? A worldview is, is basically how you see the world around you. It's like a pair of glasses, right? If, if you have a pair of glasses that are tinted red and you put them on, you're going to see everything red. If you've got a pair of glasses that are tinted green and you, see, you look at the exact same thing, everything is going to look green. Well, that's what your worldview is like. It's the, it's the lens, if you will, how you view the world. A person's worldview represents their most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe. Now, by the way, they don't have to be true. For example, Sasha and Sam, one of them's right and one of them's wrong. Are you with me? 
They can't, but it's still his fundamental beliefs about the universe is that he crawled, that the human race crawled out of some primordial ooze, and when we die, it ain't nothing. Her fundamental beliefs that we are created in the image of God, and how those two beliefs fashion their whole worldview. And in fact, what it does is it dictates, if you will, how they answer the big questions of life. For example, does God exist? How did all this begin? Who am I? What's my purpose here? Am I living a good life? What happens after I die? What, what is morally good and what is morally wrong? Those are the big questions. We're not talking about what we're having for supper anymore. Right? We're not talking about what, you, what movie you watch. We're talking about the big questions. And the big questions, the way you answer them, is going to be dictated by your worldview. It's, so your worldview is the lens in which you, uh, it, all your experiences come through. All your decisions are made through this worldview. If you go into a coffee shop and you overhear a conversation, you understand that, you interpret that through your worldview. If you, if you read a website or, or a news article in the paper, your, your worldview dictates that. Let me give you an example. I don't know how many of y'all saw last week I'm sorry, last month, they came out with these new pictures from space. They built this telescope. It's called the James Webb uh, Space Telescope. It's the most powerful telescope that's ever been built. It can see farther into the universe than any other telescope. And this thing took some pictures. And if you haven't seen it, just seen it, go Google it. The pictures are just unbelievable. In fact, I forget the name of this. You see those things that look like clouds? Um, they don't measure those in miles or even millions of miles. They measure them in light years, which is, it's just, it's just mind-blowing, right? So they introduced, actually the president at a White House press conference introduced some of these pictures. Now, here's the thing. I look at that picture, and what's the first thing that comes to my mind? God is awesome. God is just ridiculously awesome. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the first thought in my mind. But someone who's an atheist, they see the same picture, the same information, and what do they think? Man, that Big Bang was something, wasn't it? <laughs> right? That might be some of the same space dust that I'm made out of. Are you with me? It's the same information. It's the same picture. We, we, we both have the same facts coming in, but how you interpret those has everything to do with your worldview. Everything. Now listen, everybody has a worldview. Well, I say every human. A cabbage doesn't have a worldview. A dog doesn't have a worldview. They don't think about the big things, but we do. We are rational beings. We are made in the image of God. We, we think about those big things. Everybody has a worldview. A two-year-old has a worldview. You could call it a my view, right? Because everything is about him or her. But that's his worldview. And our worldviews changes, but everybody has a worldview. Now, let me tell you one mistake Christians make. Sometimes we think people like scientists and biologists and archaeologists and doctors, we kind of look at them and think, well, they're neutral. No, they're not. Nobody's neutral. There's nobody sitting in the middle and saying, I'm just going to interpret the facts the way they come. No, they don't. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody interprets information. The, the archaeologist that, that finds that piece of uh, pottery or that, that, that or finds that bone, they interpret that based on their worldview. 
If they don't believe in God, they're going to interpret it based on evolution. If they believe in God, they may interpret it a different way. Everybody interprets. That's why there's doctors out there today that, I don't know the right way to say this, but we'll talk about this more next week, that are doing horrific things to children. And you say, how can you do that? Because of their worldview. Because of their worldview. They all have a worldview. So you need to keep that in mind. Nobody's neutral. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a, a, a lens over their eyes, if you will, over their brain, over their emotions, over their heart that influences how they interpret information. Now listen to me, because this is the important part. Every single worldview, and there's a lot of them, every worldview is ultimately based on a single question. That is, what is it that I believe is true? What do I, at my, at my most foundational point, Inside of me, what is it that I think is true? Because see, the thing is, in order to make sense of this world, you got to believe something's true. You have to, or you would just be, it, it would just be chaotic. We all believe something is true, and that's always the basis of our worldview. You start with this, what do I think is true? And from there, you answer the big questions of life. So let me give you an example. I have a biblical worldview. Okay, I'll just confess, that's my worldview. Those questions are so easy for me. There's nothing to them. Does God exist? Absolutely. How did everything begin? God created it. Who am I? I am a child of God created in the image of God. What is my purpose? To glorify God. Am I living a good life? Yes, if I'm glorifying God. What happens after I die? I'm going to heaven. What is morally good and evil? Whatever the Bible says is morally good and evil. Those are easy questions. There's nothing to it. Now, take away, but go to somebody that believes in evolution. They're going to struggle, and they're going to struggle mightily with some of these questions. For example, let's say I'm Sam, and I say to Sam, does God exist? No. So then how did everything begin? Well, there was this explosion, and all these part. Okay, well, where did the particles come from? Well, I don't know, but they, they all got together and... And then we, they, we created these molecules that became amoebas, which became salamanders, which became birds, which became dinosaurs, which became... Okay, now let's, who are you? I'm just stardust. I'm just a collection of atoms and neurons and molecules. And what's your purpose? Uh, I don't know. Enjoy life? Are you living a good life? Well... I mean, I guess I am. I don't really have a standard to apply it. I guess I am. What happens after you die? Nothing. It's just over. What's morally good and evil? Well, this is a tough one for them. What's morally right and morally wrong? Well, I mean, how do you determine that? You ever thought about it? How, without the Bible, how do you determine what's morally right? You may say, well, Hitler was wrong. Okay, why? Why was he wrong? Well, he killed people. Okay, why is that wrong? Well, you shouldn't kill people. I know that. <laughs> but why? What makes his morals any better than your morals or any worse than your morals? What standard are you using? You, you, it's just a... You can't answer those questions with a non-biblical worldview. It's very, very difficult. But with a biblical worldview, those are, those are simple. Those are so easy. And now this, this comes down the line. Let's get to some simpler, I say simpler questions. Things like, what do you think about abortion? 
What do you think about euthanasia? What do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about racism? The answers to those questions will always, always, always go back to your worldview. Always. If I have a biblical worldview, then I will think biblically about those subjects. If you don't think biblically about those subjects, you do not have a biblical worldview. You've got some other type of, of worldview. Now, with that said, let's come back to our question that we were going to answer, that I promised we would answer. How do we solve the problem of racism? Well, remember what I said, right? It all goes back to your worldview. What do you really believe at the deepest recesses you, uh, that you are? Okay, I'm going to give you four worldviews tonight. Okay, there's more than that, and I'm not going to go into all the different worldviews, but I'm going to give you four of them. The first one I've already mentioned is called a biblical worldview. I have a biblical worldview, okay? I hope that many of you have a biblical worldview. But if you have a biblical worldview, you are one of the few. In fact, the, the, the latest survey, uh, which was the American Worldview Inventory, they do a survey every two years, 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Just 6%. 94% of the people that you run into on any given day do not have a biblical worldview. Okay? But I do, which just, you know, I, I can... And remember, my worldview is, determines what I think and how I believe and how I teach. So everything I'm going to teach is going to be from a biblical worldview. So here, I'm going to make this really simple. Okay? I'm going to put it in some real basic terms. The biblical worldview believes that there is an author... That author would be who? That would be God. And there is a story. Now, every single one of us in this room have a story, right? We're all living our life. We're raising our families, working our jobs. We've all got these little stories. But a biblical worldview says, well, not only, yeah, I've got my little story going on here, but there's a bigger story going on. And this big story is the story of creation and fall and redemption. God created the heavens and the earth, and, and he looked at it and said, it is very good. And then we messed it up. And the whole Bible is about redeeming that or putting it back the way that he originally created it. Now, this story, of course, is told in God's Word, Holy Scriptures, or the Bible. And this is what the Bible tells us about ourselves. We are glorious creatures. The Bible says we are just a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. But we also have a real big problem, and the problem is, is that our heart is sick. The, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's basically using it as a term for your emotions, for your thought processes. That those things, the Bible says they're depraved, they're corrupted, they're broken. Let me give you some scriptures. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah twenty two seventeen. Your heart is intent only upon practicing oppression. Proverbs twenty six twenty four. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. You see, that right there tells me that if you're practicing racism, the problem is coming from your heart. It's coming from the deep-seated place of your emotions and your, and your thought processes. It's broken. It's defective. It's corrupt. Jesus, which is the definitive scripture, Jesus said this in Mark 7, 21 to 23. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come 
evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and he goes on down to pride. The, the fact that you would stand there and say, I'm better than you because I got more money than you. I'm better than you because I got a better education than you. I'm better than you because I was whatever, of the color of my skin, whatever. That's just pride. And Jesus said those are evil thoughts that come out of our, the recesses of who we are, out of our heart. You see, racism, according to the Bible, is not primarily about institutions and laws. Of course, we can create institutions that are racist. Certainly, we can create laws that are racist. But that's not the problem. That's, a, that's just a symptom of the problem. That's a symptom of the disease. The disease is right here. You see, racism is fundamentally about every single person making decision that they will not love their neighbor as their self. Jesus said the whole Bible can be wrapped up in two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. That's all it's ever been about. And racism is basically fundamentally about individual human beings rejecting that second command, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So racism is a problem of the heart. So if we're serious, now a lot of people's not serious about it. They talk a good talk, but they're not serious about it. And I'll tell you at the end here, as Christians, you don't have a choice. You have to get serious about it. And if we're going to be serious about racism, then you have to address it at the root of the problem, and that is in the human heart. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can heal a corrupted heart. That's it. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God can create a new heart. Listen to the words of God spoken through Ezekiel the prophet, Ezekiel 36. He says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And don't miss this last part. And God says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and I'm going to make you, I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. God says, you know all that stuff I've been saying about don't, be, don't show partiality? And be humble and, and don't, be, don't show favoritism. You know all those commands? You can't do it by yourself. Therefore, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And that spirit is going to work with your new heart. And he's going to cause you not to be a racist. That's the solution to the problem. It's the only solution to the problem. Now, let's move on. Around the 18th century, a new worldview came along. If you, if you studied this in school, you know this was the age of enlightenment, right? Where everybody was just like, oh man, we, we're just so educated and we're so great. And so a worldview came up in the 1700s called a modern worldview. Now the modern worldview was a little bit different. The main thing about the modern worldview is it set God aside. It basically said, look, all this God stuff, there ain't no, there's no God, there's no author. By the way... Go back to men. This could, this could include people who absolutely believe there isn't a God. But it can also include men like Thomas Jefferson who believed in God. See, Thomas Jefferson's not a Christian. <laughs> Go back and read about him. Thomas Jefferson is what's called a deist. Thomas Jefferson believed that God created the heavens and the earth, but then he just believed God backed off and he just sits there with his arms folded to see what we're going to do. In other words, it's like a watchmaker who makes a watch and winds it up and then it runs on his own. That's what Thomas Jefferson believed. 
He didn't believe in that Jesus was the Son of God. He, in fact, I've told you all this before, right? If you go to the Smithsonian, they got the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And if you open it up, he cut out all the miracles. Every miracle, he took it out. He just thought Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. Took out. He didn't believe in God. So even men like Thomas Jefferson bought into this modern worldview where there is no author, there's nobody intervening. But there is still a bigger story. But the story is not the, the story of redemption. The story now is the evolution of man. That man, through continued uh, progress, through education and technology, they believed if we just educate everybody... If, if we just put all this technology and, and people start making money and they become prosperous and they become educated, that we'll just, mankind will just move right into this utopia, right? No consideration of God, no consideration of sin. They just thought, giving us enough time, enough education, enough technology, we will achieve utopia. Now, you tell me how that turned out. How did that turn out? World War One, World War Two. The Holocaust, the communist purges of Stalin, millions and millions and millions dead. It just, it just didn't work. I mean, it just fell flat on its face. So now let's come out of World War II and we come up to the 1950s and the 1960s. And a lot of people were looking at that worldview and thinking, man, that just didn't work. I mean, I just, this, is a, this is a mess. So they came up with a new one. And this one's called the postmodern which means after the modern worldview, you got this one. This is called the postmodern worldview. And they made a few changes. They said, okay, there is no author, there is no larger story, and there is no absolute truth. All of y'all that think there's a God and some kind of big purpose going on, that's ridiculous. All, all this is is a world. It's just a bunch of people living little small stories. Everybody with me? There's no bigger purpose. It's just a bunch of people on their own, living their little bitty small stories. Now, here's the thing. If, if, you're, if, if there's no big story and there's just your story, well, guess the only story that matters is yours. Right? You wonder where we are today? Just live your truth. Live your story. This is a postmodern worldview. There's no God. There's no absolute truth. There's no big picture. There's just your story. You live it any way you want to. If that's true, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. Do anything you want to do. Make yourself happy. Live your truth. And we are seeing this all over the place. Now, notice how we've gone down. Everybody see that? We start with a biblical worldview where the focus is God and the story of redemption. We get to the modern worldview where the focus is man, the evolution of man. And now we're down to the postmodern where it's just all about the individual. Just whatever your story is, man, do the best you can. Be happy, right? Live your truth. Here's the problem. We come up to about 2020, and this worldview ain't working either, right? I mean, it ain't working either. We ain't done... Racism's just getting worse. Everything's getting worse. People hating each other. People arguing all the time. It's just... It looks like it's falling apart. Well, what did you expect to happen when, you get a, when people got no purpose? They've got no meaning in life. It's just a bunch of individual people. It's, it's dog eat dog. What did they expect was going to happen? So, you got George Floyd. You got the riots. You got Black Lives Matter. And out of all of that, a new worldview comes into play. Now, here's why. 
this postmodern worldview, when you think about it, it offered very little in the way of meaning or purpose. You see, people need a big story. Do you know that? Human beings really need a larger story. They need something bigger. They need meaning. They need hope. They need purpose. This idea of, of everybody just doing your own thing, it gives none of that. So it's no surprise that a worldview would come up that would offer that bigger story again. And that worldview is called critical race theory. Now, critical race theory, how many of y'all have heard of it, read about it? So critical race theory has been around for a while. It just kind of sat out in the universities and people talked about it and wrote a paper. On, but normal people like us, we never heard about it until uh, 2020. And now all of a sudden we're hearing about it every day. Now, the message that you will hear sometime about um, critical race theory, for example, the White House said this, is that critical race theory is mainly about teaching the history of slavery in our schools. Now, let me just say this. I don't know anybody that has a problem with teaching the history of slavery in our schools. Of course we should teach that. Of course we should teach. In fact, I want my children taught about the Holocaust. I want my children taught about slavery. I want them to see what man does to man. I want them to see that what man does apart from God is tear each other apart. I want them to see that. I'm not trying to hide that. Nobody wants to hide that. But that's not what it's about at all. I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Critical race theory is much, much more than that. It is a worldview. It's a worldview because it, what it does, it gives us a, a framework or a big picture to live our life by and answer questions by. So here's what critical race theory believes. There's no author. There is no absolute truth. But there is a larger story. Now, I want you to know what critical race theory does. Remember, we started with the biblical, which is God. We got to modern, which was man. We got down to postmodern, which is individual, which offers no purpose, no hope, no meaning. Well, what critical race theory does, it says, okay, I'm going to give you the, the big story back. I'm going to give you something to, to be a part of, okay? And this is the larger story of critical race theory. Critical race theory teaches that everything, everything that's going on, history, morality, purpose, everything, has to be understood through the lens of oppressors and victims. Everybody with me? That's, that's the big story. You're either an oppressor or you're a victim. You're in one of those, you're in one of those classes. So basically, CRT sees the world as a racial struggle between the oppressors, which are white people, and victims, which are people of color. So this would be black people or Hispanic people or Native uh, Americans, anybody that's not white. This is basically, this is their worldview. Everything that's going on out there is a struggle between oppressors and victims. Now let me say, first of all, how incredibly myopic or nearsighted this is. You know, what's the old adage, you can't see the, the, the forest for the trees? It's like being in a forest and you're in an oak grove and you're standing in the forest and all around you is oak trees. So you assume that the whole forest is oak trees, but it's not. There's maple trees and sweet gum trees and pine trees and cedar trees and there's all kinds of trees. But you assume how 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 ridiculous is it to, that a bunch of yeah, America has problems with race. But folks, World War One wasn't about color. World War Two wasn't about color. The Holocaust wasn't about color. The, 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 the communist purges of Stalin wasn't about color. 
How in the world can you automatically take one situation and, and create a worldview out of it? The other thing about it is it is absolutely doomed to fail. It is absolutely doomed to fail. Because again, you're just addressing the symptoms. You're not addressing the heart. In a CRT or critical race theory worldview, all your social evils, things like racism and poverty and crime, result not from individual choices. It has nothing to do with sin, but it, it's all the, the result of one group oppressing another. This is why you pick up the paper and you see some of these district attorneys in these cities and they're letting people off, right? Because they're, they can't be wrong because they're a victim. So they let people off, right? One group, is the, by the way, this is the craziest part of it. If you're in the victim's group, you are morally right, no matter what. If you make mistakes, we can't blame you for those because you've been oppressed. If you're in the other group, the oppressor's group, then no matter what you do, you are morally wrong. You can't be right because you're the oppressor. So basically what it's done is it's divided the victims, people of color, are right no matter what. The oppressors, white people, are wrong no matter what. You, you belong in that class. You are wrong or you are right based on basically the color of your skin. Now, I want you to see how backward this is. Almost what? Today's the 16th, so almost 59 years ago, uh, Martin Luther King stood on the Lincoln Memorial, and he made this statement. We all know it. We've all heard it and quoted it. He said, I've got a dream that one day my four children will live in a country or a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of the character. Basically, that's exactly what God says in the Bible. He says, God doesn't see the way you see. You look on the outside. God looks on the inside. So that's exactly what he's saying. I, I want my children to be judged by the inside, not the outside. Do you not understand that critical race theory does the exact opposite? It judges you by the color of your skin. If you're white, you're an oppressor. If you're black or brown, you're the victim. It literally perpetuates racism. It perpetuates the division of people into groups by color. It's almost like, be honest, like they gave up. Honestly. They, they tried the modern worldview and that didn't work. They tried the postmodern worldview and that didn't work. It's almost like they just gave up and said, well, we, we can't solve this thing, so let's just flip the script. Let's just make racism okay the other way. That's exactly what they've done. One more quick thing about it, and, I, and I'll close. One of the fundamental beliefs of critical race theory is something called the centrality of lived experience. In other words, truth can only be gained by living as an oppressed racial minority. Okay? Now, this is odd. So, for example, they would look at me tonight and say, shut up. Sit down. You ain't got nothing to say. And if I said, why? Why won't you listen to me? This is what they say, because you're white. And I, it, it don't matter what's inside of me. It doesn't matter if I've got... It, it doesn't matter. I'm automatically told to shut up because of the color of my skin. What is that? That's racism. That's just pure racism. So white people can only listen. Now, why is this important? This is important for this reason. It's not important because of me. It's important because that rules the Bible out. Because the Bible was written by Jews who are white. 
So in the critical race theory worldview, the Bible has no place of truth. It is literally set on the side. The only people that can speak truth, the only people that can teach truth are people of color. That's why it's important. Not because it rules me out. Because it rules the very foundation of truth out. In the end, critical race theory has some really, really serious errors. I'm going to give you four. Number one, it makes biblical truth irrelevant. Number two, it makes any truth or knowledge from an oppressor or a white person irrelevant. So nobody will listen to you, right? Number three, by reducing evil to groups, critical race theory denies the individual moral accountability of an individual. Okay? You're not accountable for your sin because you're a victim. On the other hand, by reducing evil to groups, it, ad- it denies the redemptive power of the individual. Because I'm white, nobody, I, I, I can't be redeemed. I can't be a good person. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, right? It completely takes it away from the individual and puts us right back into groups, which is the place we've been fighting <clears throat> to get out of for decades. With critical race theory, the sad result of its pursuit of justice is just more injustice. Instead of eliminating racism, it only perpetuates racism. In fact, the thing about CRT is it's really not serious. It's not serious about racism. In fact, what it's about is power. That's what anytime you listen, (laughs) any worldview that's not biblical, it always comes back to power. Who's got the power? And that's what this one is about. Now, let me say this, and I'll close. They may not be serious about racism, but as Christians, we have no choice. Let me say it again. They may not be serious about it, but as Christians, we have no choice. We absolutely have to be serious about eliminating racism. So what I'm telling you tonight, in your life, if you are serious, if you are serious about eliminating racism in your life, and you're serious about eliminating racism in your family, then you have one choice, and that is to choose truth. That's your only choice. If you're serious about it, then you have to choose the Bible. You see, if we're going to eliminate racism, it has to be done according to a biblical worldview, not by embracing anti-biblical philosophies. That'll never work. It is doomed to failure. I could have told years ago, I could have told anybody with a modern worldview, it's not going to work because you're not addressing the heart. I could have told anybody with a postmodern worldview, it's not going to work because you're not addressing the problem. And I can tell anybody with a critical race theory worldview, it's not going to work because you're not addressing the heart. That is where the problem is. Oppression always flows from a corrupt heart that's bent towards sin if we're going to fix it. The only fix for that is the redemption of the heart by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for the last three weeks uh, for our ability and, and, and just the opportunity to take this hard subject. Um, and it is sometimes very difficult to talk about some of these things. But God, you've been gracious to us. There's been a, a spirit of love in this place. I've felt it and I know others have felt it as well. God, I'm going to ask you to do something tonight, and that is I ask you to make river of life. You've already done this in a lot of ways, but I'm going to ask you to do it even more. Make river of life a city on a hill. 
Make River of Life a, a, a place where we don't just talk about things like eliminating racism. We practice eliminating racism. That we are men and women who love one another despite of our cultural differences, despite of the of, of physical differences. We don't care. We are all one in Christ Jesus. God, help us, help us, help us. That not just to be words that come out of our mouth, but help that to be a worldview in the deepest parts of our spirit and at the very center of our thoughts and the center of our emotions. That is something only you can do. Father, if there's anyone here tonight who's got racism in their heart, anybody here who's still struggling with that, God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'll somehow take these scriptures. It's not my words, it's your word. You'll take these scriptures and you'll just do a miracle. Because it is a miracle. We cannot do it on our own. We are fallen, broken, sick, corrupt people. It's only a new heart. God, do it. You do it. You do it in Jesus' name. You do it. And we'll give you the praise and we'll give you the honor for all you do. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us at ROL Crawfordville for more information and directions.